this morning, I want you to turn with me to the book of Joshua. Book of Joshua. Just to give you a little background, Joshua and the children of Israel had been wandering around for 40 years in the wilderness. God had done so many incredible things in bringing them out of the land of Egypt, all the miracles, parting the Red Sea, bringing water, all the miracles that happened throughout that time. Now he has just opened up, just like he did the Red Sea, the Jordan River. Three million people pass in to the land of Israel. And Joshua has 12 men, one from each tribe of Israel, to go back into the river Jordan that is still dry, pick up a rock, and he brought it out and he made a memorial. This is what it says, Joshua chapter 4, verse 20. These 12 stones which they have taken from the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. He said to the sons of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, saying, what are these? stones. Then they shall inform your children, saying, Israel crossed this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord God had done to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed, that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, so that you may fear the Lord your God forever." So what Joshua understood was there was going to come a day later on when people were not going to remember God's, all of God's provision. So he wanted to build this memorial. And the memorial was both to show everybody and remind everybody about how strong and powerful God is, but also to remind them of God's faithfulness. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to tell you some of the, the stories, some of the stones, pieces of, of our church and our church's life that to me are, are so very important. Now, you, you've got to kind of understand some of the background. So let me start with a little history. This, when, when Tammy and I came in 1995, this is the church building. Uh, it's the best I could describe. It's the old 70s A-frame, real long, real narrow. We had 50 paved parking spots. They bought two houses just to the north of this, uh, and they had a half million dollars debt. Church had been planted in 1983, so it was about 12 years old. It had been planted to reach the far southwest valley. By the way, do you know in 1983 where the far southwest valley was? 87th Avenue in Encanto. And we're sitting at, what, 144th today? And you think about how far farther west it goes from us now. Founding pastor was there about nine, ten years. They bought, the, they were able to buy this building soon after he left. Another guy came in, best I can tell, just wasn't a good fit. Within a year, he was gone, strife within the church. Fall of 1994, uh, just really about 60, 65 people left. They couldn't even afford the mortgage, and they were in the rears of that. And let alone, they couldn't call a pastor. And uh, so they reached out to a sister church. Now, for those of you that are new, we are an independent church. We are not a part of a denomination. But we are in an association of like-minded churches that we, we sometimes help each other. And that's uh, what they did. And they went to a church. And so if I were going to start in telling the story of Desert Springs, let me start with the first stone was a partner church. It was called Palmcroft. I was on staff there. And uh, they came to Palmcroft and they said, listen, we're, we're literally three to six weeks from closing our doors. What can you do to help us? And so Tammy and I went down for a number of weeks that fall and preached. <laughs> and I got to be honest with you, would often in the car go, oh, man, wouldn't it be terrible to pastor a church like that? Anyway, and... Uh, <laughs> But the conversation went of, hey, would you guys want to take us over? But they had this half million dollars debt, and Palmcroft didn't want the debt. But they said, here's what we'll do. First of all, we will catch you up on your mortgage. They paid $11,000-plus to get the mortgage caught up. Secondly, we'll send Steve. By the way, the first year I was the pastor at Desert Springs, I was still the executive pastor there during the week. So that's kind of like that bivocational guy that we'll provide for a part-time youth pastor, a part-time worship pastor, because we knew we needed a team, and we will invite people to go with you. 
And, uh, and I got to be honest with you, a lot of people came for one Sunday that we never saw them again. Uh, but there were about four or five families that came with us. So our first Sunday was 25 years ago today, and there were 55 of us. Men, women, children, probably a couple stray dogs running through the yard. We counted more evangelistically in those days. But I got to tell you something. Without Palmcroft, Desert Springs is not alive today. Doesn't exist. You're not here at this church. That was a big part of God's faithfulness to us. And then, uh, as we you know, keep moving the story forward, uh, we jumped in. And if I was going to probably talk about the second stone of all of this, it was something more that God had taught me through the one who had mentored me, my dad, and that is he always said evangelism is the lifeblood of a church. You find a church that's not winning anybody to Christ. They're either dead or they're dying and they don't know it. So the first ministry we started back in 1995 was a ministry of, of teaching people how to, tr- uh, and training people how to share their faith. And we started seeing people come to faith in Christ, and that was such a cool thing. If you were to ask me today, why do you, I think, God has blessed our church? I think one of the reasons has been our commitment to evangelism. But here's a really cool story I want to share with you this morning. This is the first person, it was about the first three to four five weeks that we were there who came to faith in Christ. Would you pay attention? So, hi, my name is Nicole Sanders, and I'm going to take you back all the way back to 1995. It was my sophomore year in high school, and um, I started dating this guy who went to Desert Springs. And I remember talking to him on the phone one night, and he asked me um, if I was to die, do, do I think I would go to heaven? And I was like, oh, yeah, of course. And so then he went on to ask me, well, if God were to ask you why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? And I said, well, I've been a good person. I haven't done anything too bad. So, yeah, I think God would let me into heaven. And he just went on to say that, you know, it's great that being a good person, but that's not what it's all about. It's all about Jesus and what he did on the cross for you. And he paid a price for you that you could never pay for yourself. And um, for me, hearing it for the first time um, was kind of weird. I'd never heard anything like that before. I grew up in a Catholic church and went to Catholic school from fourth to eighth grade. So this was all new to me. Um, he eventually one day invited me to church and I came with him. And um, it was different, but it was good. It was very good in a, in a good way. And um, so I started coming to church to Desert Springs. Um, but my boyfriend and I, we were making bad choices and living in sin. And, uh, one day we found ourselves at my mom's house doing a home pregnancy test. And I remember looking at that test and it read positive. So here I was, I was 16 years old. I was pregnant and I was captain of the varsity cheer squad. I was in student council. I just accepted Jesus as my savior, and I just started going to this church. And so just the thoughts of what am I going to do ran through my head. And um, so that summer, I went on summer camp with the church. And Pastor Greg was my youth pastor at the time, and he talked about purity and saving yourself for your future spouse. And my heart broke as God just opened my eyes um, to the truth. And um, nobody at the time knew I was pregnant, except for me and um, my boyfriend. And so at the end of that trip, um, the last day, um, we were challenged with just giving our life over to God, laying it at his feet and allowing God to do whatever he wanted to do with, with your life. And so it was back in the summer of 1995 that I fully gave my life over to, to God and said, you can do whatever you want to do um, in my life. So we got back home and we told our parents and we had a conversation with Pastor Steve. And, you know, looking back on that situation, um, I look back at that and I realized that never for a moment did I feel um, judged or condemned and 
or anything like that. And I think at the time when I was going through it, I just was going through the motions. But looking back at it now, like I realized how big that was being in ministry now for over 20 years. That was a huge situation and it was handled so well and so properly. And I just felt God's loving kindness um, in and through Pastor Steve and Tammy and Pastor Greg and Lori and the people of Desert Springs. And um, and it's I think about that and it's it's God's loving kindness that leads us to repentance. And my life was changed. Um, I began reading God's word. I began praying and just asking God for wisdom. God gave everything back to me. I don't know why, but he did. And uh, I was captain of the varsity cheer squad again. I was in student council. Um, I started serving at church. I um, got to take EE and go on SMI as a junior and then my senior year. Um, I started serving in first and second grade Sunday school as a Sunday school teacher. Um, I finished high school, graduated, went on to um, Southwestern Bible College, which is now called um, Arizona Christian University. Um, I majored in education, and my senior year of college, um, I interviewed for a job at Crisis Pregnancy Center, and God opened the doors for me to where I was able to teach um, abstinence and choices and healthy relationships um, to middle schoolers. And so God took a part of my life, he took a negative, and he turned it for good. And he used it in my future, and he used it for me to be able to share my story and offer people hope. And um, not only that year, but um, my senior year um, of college, uh, Pastor Greg and Lori left to go uh, start Palm Valley. And I had the choice to go. I could have gone with them, but I just felt as though God wanted me to stay right where I was at Desert Springs. And um, shortly thereafter, Pastor Steve asked if I would oversee uh, the youth ministry. And I remember being at Southwestern and there was this big stone by the library. And it said, where God guides, he provides. And so I said, yes. And um, God provided in that season. I think there's sometimes there are seasons in your life where you look back and you're like, how in the world <laughs> was I able to do all that with a full-time job? And um, But God is so amazing that he provides exactly what you need at exactly the right time. He provided wisdom. He provided strength. When my strength ended, his strength began. And um, looking back on that, not only did he provide those things, but he provided me with a ministry that brought me complete joy. And so I am so grateful for God and his faithfulness. I am so thankful um, for Pastor Steve and Tammy. I love you guys with all of my heart and words can't describe um, how much I love you guys. Thank you for being faithful to God and to his people for loving people just as they are and um, encouraging them in their walk with God. I love you guys. She ended up marrying a young man in ministry and they've been serving the Lord together now for about 17 years. And uh, oh, by the way, the, the baby she was pregnant with, she put it up for Christian adoption and been able to keep a wonderful relationship with him. And, uh, and God's given four other children. Isn't that a cool story of redemption? So then, so we're seeing people come to faith in Christ and, and we're beginning to grow. By 1997, I think we were probably 120, 125 in the spring of that year. But there's a couple things you need to know about church. First of all, people come before their money comes. Uh, it's just an adage, and, and it's true. And part of it is they want to check you out, make sure you're you know, not a crook and stuff, you know, and they believe in that. Secondly, when you're leading people to the Lord, they don't even understand about giving. So you have to start teaching and training. And so as we're growing, but financially, man, it was tough. And, and one of the things that we were concerned is Palmcroft had committed to supporting us in 96 and 97. But at the end of 97, they were going to start cutting back their support. And so, I mean, but it was, I mean, it was at points day to day. And then I had one of the most brilliant ideas I ever had, and it nearly killed us as a church. Uh, we, 
we had a great spring. We're seeing people come to faith in Christ. And I remember my dad always made Mother's Day this big celebration. And they would get gifts, and man, we'd have big crowds and almost like a second Easter Sunday. So I said, man, what's good? I went out, I spent $500 on orchids for moms from Hawaii. Now, I know you look at, you know, you look at the bulletin, you just see the end of the year giving, and you go, man, $500 seemed like much. Man, it was, it was everything. I mean, it was the difference between getting a check or not getting a check, right? So we, we, we promoted this out the wazoo. We're so, I went in that day so excited, and I still twitch on Mother's Day. Because <laughs> we had the smallest crowd we'd had all spring. We had the smallest offering we had had all spring, and we'd had some small ones. That was the day I learned we were a younger church. We weren't an older church where all their kids come and visit their moms. All my people went and visited their moms other places. The only people that were happy that Mother's Day were the ladies in my aunt's rest home because I took them and I gave them these beautiful orchids from, from Hawaii. Let me give you another adage in church ministry, and that is that any month that starts with a J is typically not a good giving month. And you're heading into June and July. And sure enough, by the end of July, we were $15,000 in the red. And in January, part of our support, I mean, that which was keeping us alive at this point, was going to start getting cut back. And man, we're praying and we're believing God. And, and the good news is by the time we hit September, the giving had picked, started picking up with the people. And so we're actually making budget. In fact, September, October, November, we'd actually paid the 15000 down to 12000 which was huge strides for us. But we're heading into December, $12,000 in red. And I just knew in my heart. You, you remember, you know, where God guides, he provides right? So if God's in this, we're going to finish the year in the black. And if we don't, then it was just God's way of saying, hey, Steve, this was great. You learned a lot. People got saved, but it's time to shut it down. So uh, first week of December 1997, I got a check in the mail from a friend of mine outside of the church for $2,000. Man, I was so excited. I thought, man, I'm going to be telling this story for like the next 25 years. This is going to be great, right? We went every Sunday in December. We made budget every week, but not a dollar more. If I remember the dates right, it was December 29th. It was a Monday. They had just counted the offering. We had made budget, but that was it. We are $10,000 in the red. Do you all remember, some of you are too young for this, but for those of us more mature, do you remember back then before you had everything on your phone, you used to have those things called day timers, you know, and you'd plan out. So I'm flipping through my day timer going, okay, let's get through the holidays, and then we'll, you know, I was picking a date for the elders to get together to talk about disbanding the church. In the midst of that, I had to go take a walk and just, okay, Lord, you know, this was our dream. This is what we believe you called us to, but if this was just that, that's okay. Walk back. Tammy and I, when we had been at Palmcroft, had taught the young marrieds. I mean the young marrieds, the 20-something young marrieds. And during the holidays, we got some really neat Christmas cards and, you know, people telling they're praying for us. And so as I'm walking back, the, the mailman was there. I picked up the mail. I walked in. Here's a Christmas card from one of those young marrieds. As I pulled the car out, something fell on the floor. I picked it up. It was a check for $5,000. When I picked myself up off the floor... <laughs> I went and got Greg, our youth pastor, and Sandra, our, our, my secretary. We got down on our knees and we said, God, you could still do this. Man, you got like 30 hours, but you can do this. That afternoon, I got a call. Oh, by the way, I didn't put my stone out. This is the big one, too, because 1997 was significant. I got a call that afternoon. Said Somebody said, can you, can you do lunch tomorrow? I said, if you're buying, I can do lunch. They were not a part of our church. I met them over. It's one of my favorite places this day. It's a bit of a hole in the wall, but really good food. It's called fajitas. It's over an I-17. I sat down. As I sat down, he handed me an envelope, and in the envelope was a check for $5,000. We ended the year with $34 in the bank. That's when I learned, you know, be more specific in your prayers. I just prayed about being in the black. We were in the black by $34. I should have asked for more, but we kept going. 
And it was just, it, it was just huge. And the cool thing is in the midst of all of this, in the midst of, of, of man, the, the, all of the emotions up and down, people were coming to faith in Jesus. He was changing their life. We'll hear this testimony from Jeff and Angela. Well, um, I'm Jeff Chapman. This is my wife, Angela Chapman. And um, we live here in Ponder, Texas. Uh, you know, reaching out, or Jamie reached out to us just recently to kind of share our story of, uh, of how Desert Springs impacted our lives and really where it's led us to at this point and to, uh, to honor Steve and, and Tammy in particular. Um, but as we were looking back and thinking um, of our story, essentially, of how we've gotten to where we are, it's kind of interesting because it's more of a testimony that, that I've shared multiple times, whether in front of uh, small groups or even large groups. Um, so I, I, there are a lot of people here in Texas that know of Steve and Tammy and certainly Desert Springs. But um, it was interesting because the original church, I guess, was in a neighborhood that Angela and I lived in um, when, we were, when I was in the Air Force. So Angela and I met uh, back in 1991, uh, 92 time frame. It was a long time ago. But uh, when I was in the Air Force, 91. was it 91 for sure? <laughs> okay. Um, a lot of anniversaries. But uh so I was in the Air Force. We were a young married couple, um, very small kids. Mackenzie, our youngest, was probably only about six months at the time. And, uh, and so we'd driven by the church hundreds and hundreds of times. But unfortunately, at that point in our lives, Angela and I didn't grow up in Christian homes. So our background and our, our history was, uh, was quite unique. Um, I share this with many people just to kind of give perspective. But between her mom and dad, my mom and dad, there are 14 marriages. So it kind of gives you an idea of the background that we're coming from. And so at that point in, in our lives, uh, Angela and I were, were pretty, um, pretty much at odds with each other. And I, I really attribute it due to my, my selfishness, essentially. Um, and, uh, and so we were on the verge of separation. Um, but very clearly, I remember God just saying, uh, ask Angela to go to church. And the only church that we really knew of was the church there, right there on the corner, uh, in the neighborhood that we drove past so many times. And so, uh, surprisingly she said, yes, I don't think she was even talking to me at the time, but she said yes. And so, uh, the two of us went to church now, um, because of that, uh, that's where we had a chance to meet Steve and Tammy and, uh, a couple other folks. And it wasn't but a couple weeks after that on Wednesday, Wednesday night, August 3rd, 1995, remember it clearly, um, we had a couple of families come over and share the gospel through Evangelism Explosion. I know that's uh, something that Steve is very passionate about, and uh, I am now certainly passionate about it as well because that's what changed our lives. But that Wednesday night, they shared the gospel with us, and uh, together, Angela and I accepted Jesus Christ. Um, and at that point, moving forward, now we're looking at 24 years later, um, things have, have changed drastically for our, uh, for our, for our lives. And, um, in, in that, in that transition time frame, um, there were so many things that took place. Um, first and foremost was the unique, um, experience of being basically adopted into a new family is what it felt like. Um, Steve and Tammy, so welcoming, um, the whole church family, but certainly being led by Steve and, um, you, you, you find a new identity essentially in this new family. And it, and it really changed not only our marriage, but our perspective on life. And, uh, and at that point forward, it was interesting because Angela and I were full in, we were committed and, and uh, it was super easy to be committed, but we invested all of our time that we could at, uh, in church, at church events. I know Angela um, became one of the employees, a church secretary uh, <laughs> for a little while. Um, and then we got certainly involved with the youth group and on mission trips and those kind of things. And then because of evangelism explosion, um, the passion that I had for it because of what it did for our lives, um, went through all the training with Steve and throughout that, it was about a six to seven month process. We grew extensively in our faith. Um, a lot of people mentored us, um, uh, and, uh, and certainly getting trained through evangelism explosion, uh, growing in our, in our faith through the worship there at desert Springs. And after about six to eight months, I remember clearly just asking or telling Angela one night saying, you know, I'd feel confident now if uh, we did leave. I feel like we're, we're in a much better spot. And that uh, was interesting because it wasn't a couple of weeks after that that the Air Force, um, my Air Force commander called me up and said, hey, you were supposed to be at Wichita Falls as a shepherd uh, a couple of weeks back. And so I gave them the paperwork and I said, no, it was denied. Um, here it is. And they said, well, it was a computer issue. It was a computer glitch. 
So, you know, surprisingly, God worked very uniquely in that manner. And, uh, and again, at that point, we felt confident that, that we could go. And so that's how we ended up here in Texas. We transferred up here through that, uh, through that situation. But it was because of the faith that we had that we had grown there at Desert Springs that we felt confident enough that wherever we relocated to, it was going to be a good situation. So for the last six years now, I've been uh, going to seminary, um, pursuing a, a Ph.D. in preaching so I can equip people to uh, lead churches and plant churches and, and, and uh, faithfully share, uh, faithfully share the word of God. I look back at the history of this story of how we ended up in the neighborhood with Ezra Springs, how God has, uh, has used that church to bring the two of us closer together in our relationship to being mentored early on in uh, what Christian family looks like, Christian beliefs, and then transferring us here, here to Texas and then through, obviously, the mission work and the school and everything else. So I'm excited to see what God's going to do here in the future. But I say all that because essentially um, you can say this was the, the hinge pin to it was Steve and Tammy's call. If they not answer the call to be there at Desert Springs, it, who knows what the story would look like for, for the two of us. Um, but we're super excited. We're super pleased to, to be a part of this whole process and uh, excited to see where God's going to take us now. But we love you guys. We thank you so much for um, all the things you've done and, and continue to do. We look forward to seeing you hopefully here soon. So a really cool piece to that is I got a video last spring uh, and Jeff was preaching in the chapel at Southwestern Seminary, a very prestigious seminary, sharing the story of how God used Desert Springs in his life to bring him to faith and to grow him. And that's just, again, God's faithfulness. And then we continued to grow. We grew to about 250, and again, 50 paid parking spots and all of that. And, and there was, we, we were back in a neighborhood. Uh, so just to give you a sense of where we were, there was a field between us and Bethany Home Road, which, you, you know, it really helps to be on a major road. And then Bethany Home is the, the mile road, but it's, if you know anything about Bethany Home, it's now the one that doesn't go all the way through, so it's the road to nowhere. But we thought, man, if we could just get that piece of property, it was a field, vacant field, and put a sign out. And so Palm Cross stepped back in, and I think it's like $77,000, $78,000, helped us buy this property. We thought, man, this is it. This is going to take us to that new day. And then I went to the city of Glendale. By the way, very nice people, so don't take this you know, against them. But I said, hey, listen, we would put a sign on this property. We, we just got it. It's great. So he said, well, let me check. He called me back and he said, listen, uh, he, here's the issue. You can't put a sign on that property. I said, well, why not? He said, well, because your church building is on another property. What do you mean another property? It's right there. It's all there. No, no, there, there's an invisible line in the county assessor's book that you're going to have to get a raise before you put a sign out. I said, okay, so give me an idea of time and money. Ah, you know, year, year and a half, couple thousand, ten thousand, fifteen thousand dollars. Okay. And then he said this, but that's not your real problem. I said, okay, tell me what my real problem is. He says, well, your real problem is, is that the church that originally built the building never got a conditional use permit, so it's zone residential. I said, so we can't be a church? No, you can be. It's just before you go through any of that with the county assessor, you've got to get the zoning change, which means you've got to go through. So I said, okay, tell me how much time and how much money. He said, well, that could be a couple years. Who knows how many thousands of dollars and I got to be honest with you, we were stuck. I mean, we were just stuck. And, and so this was the next stone. It was uh, 2003, probably, probably this Sunday. I did a state of the church address. I told everybody, I said, listen, this is where we are. We're all so excited going to the holidays. We're going to get all this. We're stuck. I said, would everybody take one meal a week and just... Instead of eating, would you just pray? So fast and pray one meal a week that God will give us wisdom. I don't even know what to do. I was just completely stuck. And so we all started doing that. Within two weeks, we got two calls completely out of the blue from two different churches that said, hey, would you want to sell your facility? I got to be honest with you. I don't know who anybody wants this facility. 
But as the elders got together, we thought, hey, God has obviously given us direction, so we listed it with the realtor. We put it up. Six months later, we sold it. Honestly, other than changed lives, the biggest miracle I've ever seen was this building and property would had a half million dollars debt that nearly killed us three or four times. God, in a these few short years, nine years, when we walked out, we walked out with nearly a half million dollars in our pocket. Only God could have done that. It was a huge piece. <laughs> well, now wait, be careful what you ask for. So now the church is sold, we got the dead date, and now we got to find a place to go. And we cannot find a place to go. I tell, I've never walked into more closed doors in all my life. It was, it was just incredible. Some of the worst Sundays of my 25 years were that, that fall because everybody would be, where are we going to? I don't know. You've heard of church on the street. We were going to be church on the street. We, had no, we couldn't even find a school to go to. Must have been October of 2003. We heard that St. Thomas, which was in Litchfield Park, had just built their new building. They're selling their old one. We came out. We saw it. I'll never forget. Everybody came. All the elders came. We walked through. We thought, man, this place would be great. We went down to that McDonald's that's down there at Litchfield and McDowell. Uh, we didn't know anything out here. And we all said, man, this would be great. But there were four huge problems. Number one, it was eight miles away. And we, I mean, we only got 250 people. We can't lose a whole lot. Most of them, you know, eight miles. Number two is they were asking way too much money for it. Number three is even if we could get it for what we thought it was worth, uh, nobody in their right mind would loan us that kind of money. And number four, there was a church that was already making offers on it. Well, you know, kingdom mentality, you can't try to bid up another church, right? If God wants them to have it, then they should have it, and he'll have something else for us. So it's just, so we got these four issues. So, so I told the realtor, I said, listen, you know, I, we would be interested, so if anything ever happens with the other church, let us know. It was, what, Wednesday before Thanksgiving, 2003. We had some family came into town. I took the kids because I'm a really good dad course I was on my cell phone at the time but I took the kids to the park I got a call at the park from the realtor hey their finances fall out they are out are you guys in so this is what we did if you remember that time the diocese was going through some really tough stuff they needed cash they came down a million dollars in their asking price now the question is who in the God's green earth is going to loan us that money. I'm laying in bed on a Friday night staring at the ceiling when I should have been sleeping, just saying, God, what are you going to do? And all of a sudden I remembered an old Youth for Christ friend of my dad's. You maybe have heard of his ministry. It's called uh, Teen Missions, Go Lay a Brick for God. Back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, the number one sender of short-term missions in, in America. He's an old Jew for Christ friend of my dad's. They loan money to churches. I remembered that. So I called my dad the next morning and said, hey, do you know that they still do that? He goes, I don't know. I'll give him a call. He gives him a call. He says, well, sure. In fact, I'm going to be out that way in a week. I'll stop by. He comes by. I take him to the property. By the way, if you're not familiar with the property, that's the property. And you see between the big building on the left and the building on the right, there's a breezeway, Right? And that's kind of where church happened there, by the way. Uh, that was, uh, and I know people think I'm exaggerating, but it, this is, you can watch the replay in heaven, right? This is exactly how it happened. We walked out of the auditorium under that breezeway. He turned around. He stuck out his hand. He said, we'll loan you the money. I said, well, whoa, wait a minute here. Don't you like want to see our financials? He goes, well, you, you don't know how this works, do you? And I said, obviously I don't. <laughs> he says, well, see, the reason that the banks won't want to loan you money is that if they have to foreclose on you, it's like they're foreclosing on God in the neighborhood. That doesn't do good for their business. He says, I'm loaning you God's money. I have no problem foreclosing on you. And I went, oh, okay, <laughs> makes, makes sense to me. He says, the only thing I'm interested in is if I foreclose and I sell the building, I can get my money back. He said, we'll loan you the money. I said, great, we'll take it. And then the most incredible thing happened as we went to the church and we told them, 
And they said, man, God, God is in this. In fact, the, the day that we moved was, was absolutely incredible. Uh, we had our last service. We had been packing for months. That's the day I found out we're kind of a redneck church. We have a lot of pickup, box trucks. Uh, we fed them lunch. Hour and a half later, the last truck is going down the way. And uh, in fact, I believe this is from the first Sunday that we were in that church. Every one of the 250 people moved with us except one older couple. Yeah, who got involved in a church there in the community. In fact, their son is a part of our church uh, to this day. I mean, it, it's, it's a God thing. Then, of course, now we get into this. Ah, yeah, this is, this is 2004. This is, this is good stuff. 2004, so we get into this building. Well, of course, now much bigger mortgage payment. Remember I told you one of the adages in churches is people come before their money does? So we've got to grow because we've got a bigger mortgage and we kept enough squirreled away that we had this drop dead date. If giving didn't increase, we had enough reserves that would take us to September 15th. But on September 15th, we were out of money. It was seven months down the line. And so sure enough, we begin to grow. I mean, I think our first Sunday, we had close to 400. It was just amazing. And then, you know, of course, that fell back a little bit, which it normally does. But we just kept growing and growing. But I tell you, finances weren't growing. My dad had come down on the day that we dedicated this building because he and my mom walked Litchfield Park and they had actually prayed over this property for months that God would provide it for us. My dad came down for the, for the, uh, the dedication and one of the things that he, he kind of looked at the elders, he said, listen, you, you want to pay the mortgage, give the missions. Okay. So the spring of that year, man, September 15th is getting close. Giving's really not going up, even though we're seeing people come to faith in Christ, even though we're growing. We had three important requests that came to us for mission support, ongoing mission support, which we don't have in our budget. I will never forget that meeting. Because those guys said, listen, if this is of the Lord, he's going to provide, we need to give to missions. And they took all three on for monthly support. And I'm happy to tell you that, what, 16 years down the line, September 15th has never arrived. God provided. It's a huge thing. It's a huge thing. And then, then we kept growing. In fact, within about two and a half years, we grew to over 600 people. Man, we are just maxed out. In fact, we ended up building a, a youth room. Uh, some of you worked on that. that was, we built that and raised that $100,000. That was huge. We took the offices. We turned them into preschool. We moved the offices outside. In 2006, in fact, this building was finished about four weeks, five weeks after we started just down the road. Sadly, the church that had built this building kind of had some internal issues. They had struggled during this time. And in the fall of 2006, they approached us and said, hey, would you want to you buy our building? And man, it was, you know, got 10 acres instead of three acres. It's, it's great space. It's wonderful. And if any of you remember that time, what was going on around here? I mean, the market was going crazy. In fact, back in those days, you remember sometimes you had to sleep out overnight to get into a drawing to possibly get a lot to build a house. I mean, that's just, it was incredible. And, and this was under distress, so we're getting this great deal on this. They're telling us our property had gone up a million dollars in price. We thought, that's great. So we bought the building. We thought, man, we'll sell that, and then we'll pay this down, and it's going to be awesome. And then any of you remember 2008? Oh, yeah. 2008 happened, and all of a sudden, nobody could get money to to borrow, to buy anything, and we're stuck with two mortgage payments, and we're stuck with uh, having the, those facilities. I mean, we moved down here. This is what it looked like back then. Uh, this was one of our first services. That's the front of this auditorium. Yeah, it used to be purple, uh, and uh, the bay Inn used to be over there. It was really something and yet for seven years, God walked us through that. We didn't have much money when we started. We didn't have much money when we ended. I think we had a couple more dollars in the bank at the end. But God saw us through those seven years. 
And, uh, but the cool thing was, we kept seeing people come to faith in Christ. Th this is such a neat testimony. I want you to hear from Kim. Hi, I'm Kim Erickson, and I came to Desert Springs um, in a really unusual way. We had been um, living in Arizona for some time, my husband and I, and we had these two young boys. And we said to ourselves, hmm, I guess we should maybe start dragging them to church. Like we were drugged to church when we were little. But you see, at that time, like God really didn't have any part in my life. But I did want them to believe in God. Like I did want them to have faith. And so my husband and I, Devin, said, yeah, let's, he said, you start looking for churches. And uh, if you find one you like, then we'll go. So I did that. And I went to this church. And it was a community church. And I had never been to a community church. And I thought, well, let's just see what's going to happen. A couple of weeks later, and he, you know how Steve always says, uh, I, I hope he still does it, you know, Tammy and I will meet you at the back. Uh, and I was trying everything I could to get out of this church without going through the back <laughs> to try not to do it. But I couldn't. Like the line was just going and I couldn't. And Pastor Steve stopped me as he shook my hand and he said, are you new here? Have you been here before? And I was like, uh, no, it's only my second time. How did this man know who I was? Like, how did he know I was new? Then I knew not only is this pastor teaching the Bible, being real in front of the people, but he knows his flock. Like he knows his people because he knew I was new and church was packed. And I thought, okay, all right, we're going to give this a shot. And that Monday, our three-year-old ran a fever. And he was still running a fever on Tuesday. And um, he was diagnosed with strep throat. And I took him to urgent care on Wednesday. Took him back to the pediatrician on Thursday. Now, Friday morning, I went to the office early. And then I got that call uh, you know, that no parent wants to get. And then Manny was screaming, the ambulance is at our house. Austin, ambulance, Austin, ambulance. And um, we lost Austin that day. He did not make it. And now I had to plan a funeral. We had to plan a funeral. And I don't have a church home. Like, I, I didn't know what to do. But I felt like I could return to that church where people were smiling, where the pastor was real. I could go back to that church. And so I, that's what I did. I knocked on the door on a Saturday morning, uh, and it was locked. Nobody was there, and I was like, oh, I don't know what to do. I called and left a message, and Debbie called me back in like three seconds flat uh, and said pastor was on vacation, but somebody would be calling. And I tell you what, Desert Springs just wrapped their arms around us, and it was amazing. And so, um, you know, they started to call us and to help us with planning the funeral. But then on Sunday, I was, I'm, I'm really determined on Sunday, I was like, we are going to church. Like we said we were going to go to this church as a family and we're going to church. And so even though Austin died on Friday on church, on Sunday, we went to Desert Springs. Pastor Steve and Tammy were on vacation. Pastor Don was on the pulpit. And those of you who um, love and remember Pastor Don, I'm going to cry. <laughs> He never left a service uh, very often without giving the invitation to make Jesus Lord and Savior. So he did that. And I raised my little hand and said, I, I, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to know more about this. I want to know what this means. And, and so did many people who came with us uh, to church that day. And thank God for Pastor Don being up there and giving that invitation when our hearts were so tender and making it seem approachable and like, oh, is this, this is what we need to do? Like so easy, so simple, so loving. It was great. So that's what we did. I gave my life to the Lord and I just went full in, <laughs> jumped all in. Uh, and I wanted to know everything about this. And um, when I go talk to people, uh, nine times out of 10, they're going to hear about Desert Springs because y'all did so much um, to just raise me up and support me and love me. It's remarkable. So um, 
I just can't, I can't say enough thanks uh, for changing my life and our, my family's life. So thank you. I love you. Congratulations. Mwah. You know, Kim's very humble. She wouldn't say this, but she's a very gifted lady. And God put it upon her heart to get women in the Word. She started writing Bible studies. She's now a published author with Moody Press. Speaks all over the country sharing her story of what God has done. Um, but God was gracious enough to allow us to be a part of that, that story. It's just, it's a wonderful thing. 2014, we were able to sell that other property. And man, that was, a, that was a huge seven years that we walked through that. And God brought us through. But for then, we begin to have, for the first time, that ability to start thinking future. Seven years, you know, was kind of survival. And God, what do you want us to do? We're here to make disciples. And that's when he put upon our hearts to plant a church. And so 2016, we plan our first church, Mission Church. By the way, if you live down in that area of human and cotton and you haven't checked it out, there are copper trails. Encourage you to go there. But we sent 50 people out. And, uh, you know, they're running over two, they're running about two and a quarter now every week, seeing people come to faith in Christ, sending people on mission trips. And, and, and I got to be done. I could, like I said, I got to be here until next Thursday. But uh, let me just finish this because this was this last year. Yeah, I don't think we can talk about our stones without thinking about this last year, planning a church in Nicaragua. The idea was floated to us around March 10th. Uh, we met with the elders, talked about it. It's a community of, what, 15 to 30,000 people that has no evangelical church in the entire community. We brought it to you, and God laid it upon your heart. And I never forget going home the one day we had an announcement, and there was so much excitement. And I'm thinking, man, how are we going to raise $120,000? All right. And I walked home, and my dad walked in the door for lunch that day. He said, listen, I know how you can raise the money. And I said, okay, speak, Yoda. <laughs> he says, why don't you take, you know, God's blessed. You, you, know, you, could, you could deal with this church-wide. Why don't you take... Easter Sunday and just everything that comes in. You don't need it for general. God's provided for that. Just take everything. And you all gave, and we raised over $200,000, not only to buy the building, to fix the building, to prevent the, you know. So, so here's the thing. Uh, and that's Pastor Dennis and, and Annie Esca uh, that are there. So here's the thing, folks. I, I need you to walk out of here today, first of all, understanding that our God is mighty, and that our God is faithful, because that is true. And he will be in your life. Now, there's a danger in this to me, because to be honest with you, a, a church with that kind of history, it's really easy to somehow rest in what God has done and to not understand, though, that his blessings of yesterday are not good enough for today. Do you understand we're living in a community right now that desperately needs Jesus. There are people like Jeff and Angel all around us whose marriages are blowing apart. People like Nicole whose lives are just taking this turn. They don't know where to go. People like Kim that are walking through and they need to know Jesus. And so we have got to understand that these are wonderful stories and they remind us of God's faithfulness, but we have got to continue to press on. That's why this coming year, in fact, one year from today will be the launch Sunday of Salt Church. We're planting another church. And here's the thing, I need many of you to go with them. You say, ah, but we love it here. Yeah, we love having you here, but this isn't about here. This is about the mission. You've got to go. We got some of you who say, but I'm in leadership here. I know it's going to hurt, but you've got to go. You've got to go be a part of that. Honestly, we have space issues. You can see this morning. We've got people on the back wall. I'm sorry. Short term, honestly, one of the easy ways we could fix that, if there'd be 200 of you that would decide to come on Saturday night. We could do everything we do on Sunday morning on Saturday night if we could just get you to think church could be on Saturday, right? And uh, encourage you to do that. But the other piece is, is that when we think of this 10 acres that God has given us, uh, our elders have contracted with company to come and to uh, meet with us at the end of the month to do a process to figure out how do we master plan this. I need you to be praying God will give us wisdom. 
How do we do what God has called us to do until he comes, looking towards the future of how can we best have the facilities that leverage us to reach the community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So on a very personal note, how can you get forward? You should know these three things already, but let me tell you just in case. Number one, you need to get in a group. Did you hear everybody here talked about people coming around them? Everybody on those testimonies talked about how people spoke in their lives. If you're not in a place where you're, and if it's just me on Sunday morning, I mean, I'd like to think that I'm good, but I ain't that good. You, you got to get in a community. Number two, you need to serve. I mean, I think back to those days in, in Glendale. Honestly, if you didn't serve, I don't even, there wasn't really much use of you being there because we just had holes. You know, it's nice, nice now. We're big. We got all the, we need you to serve. You need to find that place where you're using your giftedness. And number three, it's about you and you and you and you and me all living on mission in our life. You know, last year we had our boards and we had all the people in our lives that we were praying for. And that was awesome. And every Thursday we came in as a staff and we prayed over them. This year we've got new boards. I'm going to ask you, we don't have a lot of time today, but you're going to be seeing these. I want you to go and write on these. The question is this year, not who's in your life, it's who's your one. We want to run from the, the uh, macro to the micro. Who's your one? Who's, I mean, think about it. You know, we've got a goal of seeing 1,250 people come to faith in Christ through before the end of 2021. We, we're right now at 300, which is awesome. 300 in three years, that's great. There's the thing is, we're a church of 1,500. Is that really all that great? I mean, isn't there 1,250 of us adults? Wouldn't maybe God who loved the world so much he came and died for us have one for each of us that this year he'd like to see come to know him? So who's your one? Who's the one that you'll pray for? Who's the one that you'll build a relationship with? Who's the one that you will look for those opportunities to share the gospel? What I want you to do is I want you to write their name. In fact, start with your name. So in fact, mine's over here. It says Steve, it's got a little dash Dave. That's who I'm praying and then you should get opportunities to talk to them. You know, come put a little note so when we come in here on Thursdays to pray, we'll know when they accept Christ. Put a big star, do something. Let us celebrate with you. But we all got to be a part of this. I've invited the band. I wanted to finish this morning because I really wanted today to be about the stones and God's faithfulness and God's might. I want to finish.